Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And And you're listening to Fathomless. Happy December. Happy December. Except not so happy because we're not talking about happy things. Oh, no. Everyone but, here. Um, we're having a December theme with yeah. all of our episodes this month. So we are. We did good. We planned ahead. We've got some fun ones. We got a little uh, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of history, and a little bit of moita. Yeah. A lot. A lot of murder. A lot. Yeah. You don't know of, my case. So. A lot of moita. Lots of murder. Christmas murders. Christmas murders. At least yeah. it's festive. You know, you got to keep it within the within the season. Um, Miss Kaylee, my cat, was hanging out with us until just now. Yep, we started recording. Immediately and, just leave. And open the door. Just leave. <laughs> I feel exposed. Yeah. I like she the just door didn't want to be a part. Yeah. She was like, fuck you. Did not want to be our guest. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, today uh, we're going to be talking about a, a good old missing person, mystery, possible murder, kidnapping. We're not really sure. Uh, this is a, a pretty well-known case in the U.S. And it's, uh, I mean, it's it's been covered on like BuzzFeed Unsolved and like Unsolved Mysteries. Um, today we're going to be talking about the disappearance of the Sauter children. I vaguely, vaguely know about this. And yeah, so this case but, takes place on Christmas Eve, and it's just wild. This is one of the baffling, case, most baffling cases I've ever had to research, and it's most definitely one of those cases that I like. I'm when I'm wide awake at three a.m., unable to sleep, I like think about and just kind of like deep dive into. Okay, because five children just kind of vanish. Oh my god! In a house fire and. It's, yeah, I just, you just want to know what, what the fuck happened to these kids. That's just what you're going to keep asking yourself. When did this happen? What year 1945. Oh, wow. So we're going. We're going way back. Way back. Way back in. Okay. Um, Fayetteville or Fayetteville? I think it's Fayetteville. I think it's Fayetteville. Um, if somebody can correct me, please do. But Fayetteville, West Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia. Sorry. That's Sorry, a guys. Horrible accent. Mine was really campy. Um, but West Virginia. Yep. West Virginia. Beautiful. Honestly, very beautiful, like nature, picturesque state. Yeah. Very pretty. I've barely driven through West Virginia. I think, like, heading to North Carolina, we drive through, like, a sliver of West Virginia. Yeah. But that's... I've been through it a couple times. I've gone to Tennessee a few times now, North Carolina, South Carolina. And Virginia, so, you know, been to some places. Do you think if this case happened today that they would, like, know more? Oh, or ab- absolutely. I there no um, forensics back then? The fire department also very much just dropped the ball on this, but the, the parents kind of did, too. Um, we'll, get, we'll get into why they did a little bit. It, there, there's just some, there's a lot of weird things about this case. Um. We're just going to dive right into it because there's so much ground to cover and it's like a decades long investigation. Uh, so I wanted to start with the background of the patriarch of the Sauter family, George Sr. So George Sauter was actually born Giorgio Sadu and was born in Sardina, Italy in 1895. Wow. Just before the turn of the century. Wow. Yeah. People are going to say that about us. They were born in 1992, just yep. before the turn of the century. Just before the Y2K <laughs> and the robots and the computers took over. I don't know why my old lady became Southern, but it, she did. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Jen's losing her composure over here. No, I just think <laughs> it's funny. Um. <laughs> But uh, little is really known about George's early life in Sardina, Italy. In fact, George was always kind of very cryptic and quiet about it. Uh, Never really talked about his life in the homeland or why he left. Uh, In 1908, when George was just 13 years old, he emigrated to the United States with his older brother, 
who strangely went right back to Italy after being cleared and passing through customs in Ellis Island in New York City. So he just like dropped his 13-year-old brother off in Ellis Island and then took a boat back to Italy. Oh my god, was that like his family's plan the whole time? I think? don't know. Where I think George never really like talks about it. Okay. It's very strange. So he was just abandoned at 13 years old essentially. Kind of, yeah. He wanted to come over here. You know, he wanted to have that like chance at an American dream so uh he was also not a fan of the way things were going in Italy so he just wanted to you know at 13 at 13 yeah he he was a very outspoken person especially politically wise and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later too because it's one of it kind of backs one of the theories of what happened to the children oh okay um but uh just like that at 13 years old uh George uh kind of adopted a more Americanized version of his name. Um, so from Giorgio to George. I was going to ask, where did he get this new name from? And then uh, it was a kind of common thing at Ellis Island. Like when you were name. signing, like when you were basically becoming U.S. citizen and citizen and signing all your papers, uh, you would, you know, sometimes adopt, adopt a, new, a new, name. new name. You know, you were starting a new life for yourself. Yeah, you know? but you are who you are. Yeah. Some people wanted to, you know. Americanize. Forget about who they were. Okay. and create a new life for themselves so i guess that makes sense yeah you know a 13 year old me if they had the opportunity totally would have done some shit like that but i would have like named my shit my fucking self like autumn rain or some shit if i told my parents at 13 years old that i wanted to go to a different country because i didn't believe in things in this country they'd be like sit the fuck down (laughs) (laughs) go do your fucking homework Stop fucking complaining. Yep. <laughs> and fucking take the dog out. <laughs> While you're at it, fucking clean your room. I'm just thinking, times must have been so fucking different. For, oh, dude, like just a 13 wait. year old just be able to make his own decision yeah. like that. So this just... is 1908. It really wasn't. Didn't matter. Wasn't that long ago, too. I mean, now it was, but. You know, it wasn't too. It's not no, that it, long it's a ago. In, it's a blip in time. It really is. So George found work uh, with a railroad company, bringing water and lunch to the older men on the job sites and doing other odd jobs around the railroad tracks. So at 13, he just went and fucking found a job, making sandwiches and delivering them to these fucking railroad workers. And, okay. you know, made his way up to Pennsylvania. And then after some time, he ended up working for a trucking company in Smithers, West Virginia. And, you know, after a few years of living in America, George became really close with a lovely Italian girl in the town of Smithers named uh, Jenny. uh, I'm totally going to butcher this, but I'm pretty sure it's Cipriani. Beautiful. Um, Jenny. Yep, Jenny. And it's it's spelled J-E-N-N-I-E. I I love that. So cute. And she was the daughter of a local store owner. So Jenny was also from the area of Sardina, Italy, and had emigrated to the United States with her family when she was just two years old. So beautiful Italian girl. He was just so excited. They fell madly in love and married, and they ended up settling on like a small little farm, patch of land with a little farmhouse just outside of Fayetteville, West Virginia, which at the time had a pretty large Italian population. Uh, Between 1923 and 1944, George and Jenny had nine children. Go, George and Jenny. I, I fucking cannot even imagine. That's a lot of mouths. Imagine the fucking grocery bill. That's the first thing I thought was fucking groceries. I I know oh. it was very different, you know, in the 1920s, but. Hey, times are hard now, too. <laughs> groceries are fucking, like, <sighs> double three times what they were a couple of years ago. I just can't even fucking imagine, dude. Fucking nine, nine mouths to feed on top of you and your husband. Yeah, is I already, my grocery budget for the month is insane, and it's just me and Andrew. Uh, so I'm going to list all the children uh, in order of, like, oldest to youngest, uh, based on their ages in 1945, which is the year that all of this kind of goes down. So, of course, there was a John first. There's always a, there's always always a John. fucking John, guys. There's always a John. Uh, and he was 23 years old. He had actually been away for some time serving in World War II and had just recently come back from the Army in uh, 1945. And then there was Marion, the eldest daughter, who was 18 or 19. I saw, like, a couple different, around that age. Uh, George Jr., of course. Yeah. Why uh, was John George Jr.? Who knows? All right. Never know. Uh, and then there was Maurice, 
who was 14. Martha was 12. Lewis was nine. Jenny Jr. was oh. eight. And Betty, and then Betty was five. And then Sylvia was two. Lots of girls. Wow. Nine children. Nine freaking children. Uh, the family had a, you know, fairly comfortable life. They had some land with some animals, you know, room to grow their own food, like chickens, cows, stuff like that. Uh, George and his sons had a coal truck slash, like, delivery business. Um, and they were doing pretty well for themselves. Coal was, you know, the biggest thing in West Virginia in that area at the time. So they would basically go to the mines and get it and deliver it to families in town and stuff like that. Um, so all things were pretty go pretty much going extremely well until the night of December 24th in 1945 when the Sauter family's lives would completely change forever. Uh-oh. So it was Christmas Eve, and the family was celebrating like they did every year. They had, you know, a nice family dinner, and afterwards George and the two older boys, John and George Jr., who had spent the day working, uh, went to bed because they very much needed to get some rest because they also were going to be working the following day. Oh, okay. They had a coal business, so, you know, like no it was winter. Off. They were, you know, making as much money as they could delivering that coal. People needed it to heat their homes, so it was necessary. And George was a fucking hard-ass worker, so they had work to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Jenny and the other children spent the rest of the evening in the living room and the kitchen together. The eldest sister, Marion, had actually been working at the local dime store in town, and she surprised her younger siblings with early Christmas gifts that night. She got them What's each a like a little store? tour. Like a general store? Yeah, just like a little general store. You could get like penny candy and shit. I'm got envisioning, it. you know. Yeah. It's like some wholesome old man in like set like suspenders selling you sarsaparilla soda or some shit. Yeah. It's like a dime for one of those glass bottles. Exactly. That's what I'm seeing. Like a nickel for milk yep. and like a sack of flour. Yep. Some shit like that. Uh, but that's where her Marion worked. So she uh, had gotten each of her younger siblings like a small toy there. And surprise them with that, like, those gifts on Christmas Eve, uh, which is just so, that's just so sweet. Yeah. Uh, so delighted with the new toys and just excited for Christmas the following morning, the children begged their mother, Jenny, to allow them to stay up past their usual bedtime. Uh, at that time, it was around 10 p.m. So Jenny agreed to let the children stay up a little bit later on just one condition, as long as the girls finished their chores inside and the two boys who were still awake, Maurice and Lewis, made sure that they remembered to feed the chickens and put the cows in before they went to bed themselves. So the children agreed to these terms, and Jenny took baby Sylvia up to her bedroom, and they just retired for the evening and went to bed. I'm sorry, where's George, the father? George was already in bed asleep. Okay. Like, after dinner, before, like, well before 10 p.m., he went to bed because they had worked all day. Got it. And he had to be up early, so he just went straight to bed. Okay. And so did the two older sons, George okay. Jr. and Sorry, John. I know the two older sons. <laughs> I didn't know George was included in that. Yes. As well. all right. Yeah, all Sorry. the men who had Thank worked. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so then Jenny took baby Sylvia up to George and hers room because they had a crib in there for the baby. Got it. Um, around 1230 in the morning, Jenny was woken up by the phone ringing. So she went downstairs to answer the phone and the caller was a woman. And Jenny described this call as an unfamiliar woman with an unfamiliar voice asking for an unfamiliar name. And she also said that in the background, she could hear like what sounded like a party going on. There was like lots of loud laughter and glasses clinking. So did you think it was like a wrong number? I don't know why I'm getting probably, goosebumps. Probably. Um, like, it was I Christmas am. Eve. Uh, <laughs> so very well could have been. Um, when Jenny responded, I'm sorry, I think you have the wrong number. She said she remember very distinctly that the woman let out like a strange, almost eerie laugh. Oh, my God. I'm scared. And didn't like respond. And Jenny just like simply hung up the phone and was like, OK, whatever. Just like assumed it was like a drunk yeah. dial because it's Christmas Eve. So like yeah. she heard a party in the background. Like now <laughs> she has very much second thoughts. But in the moment she was, you know, it's fucking yeah. 1230. She was half awake. You know, someone was like, hi, is so-and-so there? She was like, no. no. And just hung up. Yeah. Like. That's a, okay. that's a normal reaction. I know, but because something bad because happens. Because now that we know because something bad happened. But, you know, she was not expecting, you know, her whole fucking house to go up in flames an hour later. Oh, my God. Shut up. Sorry. I don't know the whole story. <laughs> I just know vaguely. Um, go but on. <laughs> Jenny simply hung up the phone. But before returning to bed, she noticed that the lights were still on downstairs. 
So she went downstairs. She saw that all the curtains were still open and the front door was still unlocked. Uh, she just assumed the children forgot to kind of close up. Um, Marion was asleep on the sofa, the eldest daughter. So she figured the other five children had gone upstairs. The five of them shared two bedrooms that were on the third floor in the attic. Jenny locked the front door, shut the lights off, closed the curtains before returning back to bed. She didn't check on the attic? She didn't check in the attic. Um, what kind she, of mother? I'm sorry. I'm not a mother. I shouldn't <laughs> sit here and judge. But you think, like, you wake up in the middle of the night, you exchange phone call, your door is unlocked. So like, you check on your children. Keep in mind, the oldest son, Maurice, who was 14, had still been awake. So she, like, and they were responsible kids. So she figured that, oh, uh, he, like, they weren't, like, little, little. Yeah. It was ages, like, 14 Wait, so when to, she like, got up eight. in the middle of the night, her son, one of her sons was still awake, Mary too. and the eldest daughter was asleep on the couch. Okay. So, like, she saw one kid was asleep on the couch, so she figured, all right, if one of them's asleep on the couch, like, the other ones probably aren't, like, you know, gone. They're they probably, probably went up to bed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And that Marion just fell asleep on the couch. So she, you know, again, it's 1230. She just got woken up by a strange phone call. She's not really, it's, tomorrow's Christmas. Her, right. She's not really thinking, okay. oh, God, something's going to happen. Yeah. Which, you know, not most people wouldn't. You know, it totally makes sense. I just, it's, it's just because, you know. It's being... because we're also, we're fucking riddled with anxiety. So, like, we're, we're a little different. Uh, but Jenny went back up to bed after, you know, kind of closing everything up. And she does recall that right as she began drifting off to sleep, and this is where we do definitely differ as well. She recalls hearing a loud, sharp bang on the roof, followed by like a rolling sound. Uh, unfortunately, she thought nothing of it and just drifted off to sleep. That I definitely would have gotten up and investigated because I'm so she fucking lays nosy. back down and hears these strange noises on the roof. Yep, heard like a bang and then something like rolling. She figured it might have just been like, you know, like a, there was trees close by. Maybe it was, you know, something okay. out of a tree or some shit. Yeah, she doesn't really like go into depth of why she didn't think anything of it, but she was also exhausted, you know? So okay. mama fucking nine, and it's 12.30 at night. Okay. So she just kind of fell back asleep. Um, and now, you know, an hour later, she woke again to literally my worst fucking nightmare. This time it was thick, heavy smoke curling under her bedroom door from the hallway into her bedroom. Were there no fire alarms in the house it's 1940. So I just didn't know no. when those No fire alarms. thing. Not not sure what not, year those were regulated. Not until like the later like part of the nineteenth. I'm you gonna twentieth century that right now. Anyway. But they did not have fire alarms in their home. Uh, so Jenny quickly realized that the room, um, the room on the second floor that George used for his office was on fire and it was spreading quickly. So Jenny woke up George, who in turn woke up his eldest sons. Uh, and he went outside to grab a barrel of water. As he did that, he alerted his eldest sons to go get the other children and make sure everyone got out of the house. Um, Jenny grabbed baby Sylvia, who was in their room, and ran right, right down the stairs, uh, waking Marion and bringing her out with her. Uh, George ran to the barn only to find that the barrel of water was frozen solid. And this uh -oh. all happens like within a matter of like minutes. Um, he ran back inside to have John and George Jr. tell him that the stairs to the attic were completely engulfed in flames. Uh-oh. They tried to shout to the children, but heard nothing from the third floor. And how many children are supposed to be up there? Five. Five, <laughs> Five children are on the third floor. Five. Um, the men retreated from the home. George went to grab his ladder from the side of the house to reach the attic, and the ladder was missing from its usual spot. He was unable to find it. George Jr. and John ran over to the coal trucks that they used for work and figured that they could drive them up to the house and use them to climb up to the second floor and then hopefully get to the third floor, but neither of the trucks would start. Marion ran to a neighbor's home to contact the fire department, only to be unable to reach the operator. What the fuck? A nearby How? motorist also saw the flames and drove to a nearby tavern to alert the fire department and again was unable to reach the fucking operator. What the fuck? Are you serious? Yes. Dude. I'm like, is this the 40s or is this it's... a whole diabolical plan? Uh? 
Finally, a neighbor drove into town and found Fire Chief F.J. Morris, who happened to be the only firefighty on firefighter firefighty firefighty on duty uh, at that time. Because it was a small town, Fayetteville only had a volunteer fire department, and again, it was Christmas Eve, so everyone was either like out at a bar or with their families. Um, The fire chief could not like bring the truck himself, so he had to go gather firefighters around town before he could get to the fucking fire. Um, So despite the Sodder's home only being 2.5 miles from the fire department, it took them seven hours to respond to the fire. Are you serious? Yes. So like seven the next morning? 8 a.m. the next morning they were there because the fire started around like one in the morning. Um, While waiting for the fire department and like Meanwhile, by that time, it, the fire had stopped burning. It was completely fucking Oh, ash. yeah, obviously. Um, while waiting for the fire department, uh, George had tried one last feat to save his children by scaling the side of the house barefoot and then smashing a window to try and break in. But he was unable to see anything inside due to the smoke. And he had also sliced his arm and was bleeding pretty profusely from the glass when he broke the window. So yeah. he had to climb down and was... Basically just had to sit and watch as for the next 45 minutes, his house completely collapsed in on itself. With With potentially five children. Potentially five children inside. However, um, not one of the five children screamed, came to the window for help, called out, and they did not smell. This is going to kind of get graphic, but... They did not smell any burning flesh or hair or anything. If there were five people inside that house, yeah. you would smell burning flesh for miles. For miles. Like, it is a distinct smell. They would absolutely smell it if four bodies burned in that fire. So the five children who were trapped inside were um, Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty. I have chills. <laughs> it's so bad. It's going to get fucking worse. I don't know if it's because the windows open and weird, me, but I don't think so. This whole case is just so strange. Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, not one of the children came to the window. You would think that they would wake up. They would hear some kind of screaming or something, but nothing. Oh, yeah. And, and they like... were shouting to the house, too, trying to call to the children, and nothing happened they got no response what floor did the fire start on they believe it started on the second floor but they're not entirely sure it could have also started on the roof and we'll we'll get into that later okay um so 8 a.m christmas day mind you because this Mm -hmm. all happened on fucking christmas eve this poor fucking family um the firefighters arrived one of whom was jenny's brother and they began searching through the ashes to see if they could find any remains, but nothing was found, not even any bone fragments. By 10 a.m., Fire Chief F.J. Morris, which we do not, we don't like him. Okay. Um, he said that it was likely that the children's bodies were entirely cremated, bones and all, and stated that the fire was likely caused by some electrical, faulty electrical wiring in the home, that he would make an official statement in a few days after they had more time to do some investigating. Uh, George and Jenny were not entirely convinced that the fire was caused by faulty wiring because George had just had the fuse box in the home inspected earlier that fall when he had some new appliances put in their kitchen. Um, They were also not convinced that the children were in the house. Like I said, they had been calling to them and none of them you know, cried out, and they could not smell any burning flesh or anything. And it's not like the smoke would wake at least yeah. one of them, and they'd be like, let's go downstairs, and exactly. they'd at least like, have the door all open, All five of them like, were just asleep. for help. Yeah. There's no way not one of them came. Like, if someone was in there, one of, at least one of them would have come to and the window or tried to. how old was the oldest to. kid in the, the oldest room? was 14. Yeah. The youngest no, was he, five. Yeah, he would have. Exactly. It was like 14, 12, 9, 8. I want to say eight, like all around like that age, between 14 and five. Um, So Jenny actually visited a local funeral home a couple weeks after and found out that the cremation process usually takes about two to three hours and is usually done at about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And even then, there are still bone fragments left over that need to be kind of like ground down to ash. They're not like fully, you know, fully burnt up. 
Uh, and I looked this up and it's also true. You know, I did see that the cremation process uh, can happen anywhere between 1500 to 2800 degrees Fahrenheit usually takes about two to four hours for the cremation process alone, like the burning. That's not including any preparations before and after. And again, it did say that even then there are still bone fragments that need to be manipulated down to a smaller size that are left after that two to four hour period. Okay. And uh, the average house fire burns anywhere between 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit to 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. That was my next question. I figured. Yeah. Uh, depending on how long it burns for and the contents of the home. Like today we have like big oil tanks in our homes and some people have like natural gas tanks and stuff like that. That would cause like small explosions as the fire is going on that are ultimately going to make the fire hotter. If you're looking at a home in the 1940s, they're not going to have a massive oil tank in the bottom. They're going to have some coal in the house and like a wood stove. But um, we can assume that the fire which was also only burning for 45 minutes before the entire structure collapsed, uh, was more likely on the lower end of that spectrum, so closer to about 1,000 degrees. It likely didn't so get there very would hot. Have been so there would have been something left. There were also something. some appliances that did not completely burn away in, like, the kitchen. Um, so it obviously showed that the fire wasn't that hot. Like, if there was still half of, like, a fridge left in a stove and, you yeah. know, there was, like, some pieces of furniture that were completely destroyed, um, there was still pieces left. So not everything had been completely decimated and burned to ash. So there would have been bone fragments left. Um, despite their suspicions, the um, fire chief basically ignored all of the solder's concerns. And five days after the fire, he made a public statement claiming that the fire was caused by faulty wiring and that the town's coroner then issued death certificates for the five children. Uh, Morris told George to leave the site undisturbed so that the state fire marshal's office could conduct a more thorough investigation. However, and this is where it, this, I, I don't quite understand why they did this, but I also can't really act like I would understand what grieving parents would go through. Um, unable to bear the loss of their children and looking at the devastating site of their home their, that was in ashes, uh, in the same week that the fire chief made this statement, Jenny and George used a bulldozer to flatten the remains of their home and fill in the basement with five feet of dirt to make a flower garden memorial for the children, which Aww. made it unable for them to investigate any yeah, further. Yeah, like I get the... And like it's it's process, so hard because like I can see that they were grieving, but like and they also didn't agree with what the statement yeah. was, so they're like, "Fuck you, we know what happened." Exactly, but like it, it's just one of those things where you know I can't imagine what they were going through, so I can't pretend to imagine what their thought process was. But you on also this. can't tamper like with investigation. Yes, exactly. Like you should have waited until the state fire marshal could come in and kind of take yeah. a further look to see if maybe they would find something, but. It yeah. was likely that they weren't going to. Um, in the following weeks, weeks, George and Jenny also learned from the telephone company that their phone wires that had been connected to their phone had actually been cut before the fire had happened, not burned in the fire. So at some point between 1230 when that call happened and one in the morning when the fire started, their phone wires were cut. After that phone call, wow. Yes. Which makes me think I'm that scared. maybe that phone call was to make sure that everyone was in the house and see if anyone was awake. And then, you know. Do you know the name happened. that they asked for? No, okay. it didn't say. I, like, fucking searched fucking high and low for it and could yeah. not well, find I it. Yeah, well, I thought you were, like, going to come out with it later or something. Because, like, no. the way you, like, said it, like, a certain name. And I'm like, okay. it just She just said an unfamiliar name. Oh. And I kept being like, okay, well, like, what unfamiliar name? But I couldn't find it. So with all the strange things that they had kind of been starting to find out after the fire, George and Jenny began to take a closer look at what had been going on in their lives the weeks and months leading up to the fire to kind of think of any strange incidents. And one bizarre incident that I can't believe they didn't think of earlier um, was like, you know, about a month after the fire that they really thought about this. Um, there was a moment with a bizarre life insurance salesman about two months before the fire. 
Uh, like this, come into their house and try yes. to sell it. So this life insurance salesman uh, who is unnamed in every article that I found showed up at the solder, solder residence about two months prior to the fire. And he was attempting to convince George to take out policies on his wife and children. Um, okay. Which was okay, but also kind of odd because like George was the breadwinner of the family and he had a life insurance policy out for himself. So like if anything happened to him, his kids and, you know, They'd be wife fine. Would be fine. Yeah. So why would he need policies on you know like his like five year old and like, I mean some people do it. Some, some people, people do it. Yeah. But uh, everybody. But he wasn't really interested in it. And uh, when the insurance salesman salesman kind of noticed that his sale wasn't going to go through, and George kind of like politely rebuffed his advances, uh, the man grew very agitated. And gave this wicked, ominous response, basically warning George, saying, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to pay for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. What? So I, I, I know you're looking at me like, what the fuck does that mean? Um, little history with Amanda moment for you guys. Um, uh <laughs> He's actually referring to the Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini. Now, keep in mind, this is um, the 1940s, so this is right when uh, World War II was ending. Uh, Mussolini was the dictator of Italy during like the pretty much all of World okay. War II. <clears throat> okay. uh, and he had actually just been publicly executed and his corpse desecrated and hung upside down by a telephone pole oh. in Milan, Italy in April of 1945, that same year. This is a Mussolini sucked, so we're, we're glad that happened. Okay. We don't, we don't like fascists. Okay. Wait, um, so what was the comment that the um, life insurance guy said, he said about that, it again? Uh, George was going to pay for the dirty remarks he had been making about Mussolini. Um, so, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Mussolini was held in high regard in a lot of the eyes of a lot of Italian people, especially in the community of Fayetteville, West Virginia, for some reason. George, a man after my own heart, was very, uh, indeed, open about his disdain for the fascist dis dictator especially in public. And this actually caused a lot of arguments with people. Like, it would piss people off that he talked about how much, you know, sucked. Okay, and how so, much he sucked. like, people were probably after him or something. Possibly. Um, so at the time that the insurance salesman made this comment, George didn't take the threat seriously because other people have been like, I'm going to kick your ass if, you know, if you don't stop making comments about Mussolini. And George has just been like, yeah, whatever. It's so funny how he was like, your house is going up in smoke, and then they, oh, they just remembered it, like, a monthly. I get, like, I don't yeah, know. It you was don't a couple know. weeks. They could have had some brain fog, obviously. And that's, I mean, if if your house went up in flames on Christmas Eve and five of your children went missing and possibly burnt in the home, I think I'd be a little frazzled in my thoughts, too, and may forget about, you know, an interaction that I had two months prior with somebody because yeah, I'm more but focused this is on... Yeah, and it's at the time he was probably just like, "Oh yeah, another Fred." Okay, this yeah, guy's exactly. Pissed. I didn't take his policies. He didn't. He didn't take it like very seriously. And also, house fires were like very common back then. You know, they weren't like now. We have you know smoke detectors and stuff like that. Oh and, yeah, like, fun fact: building regulations. Smoke detectors weren't yes. regulated in the U.S. until like the sixties, like exactly the late sixties. Exactly. So like. Fires were much more common back then. You know, people were using highly flammable materials to, like, build homes and shit and insulate them. And, you know, people were burning coal in their houses and stoves and stuff. So, like, it was more common back then. So, possibly that man making a comment of your house is going up in smoke, he would have been like, yeah, whatever. Like, my neighbor's house went up in smoke, like, fucking two weeks ago. Like, or just like, okay, buddy, like, yeah, next I don't person trying to, like scare me make a threat exactly so he didn't really he didn't really think about it but um that was you know it wasn't until after everything had happened that he was like wait a minute um so this is when they kind of thought that the fire very well could have been used as a form of distraction to divert george and jenny away from somebody else taking their children as you know possibly a way to kind of get back at them 
weird way to get back at somebody, but it's possible. Yeah, that's a little extreme to like burn your house down and. I'm thinking that children. George may have possibly been involved in other things that he wasn't very open about yeah, to make could, him think of this. Totally could have. Because, um, like, also, he was very vague about why he left Italy. He just simply said that he was not happy with the politics and stuff that were going on at that time. And and left. So, like, there's there's some there's some odd... There's some questions that I wish I could ask the parents and some questions I wish I could ask the investigators that were, you know in charge of this case originally, but fortunately they're all gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which sucks. This is a long, and it's still unsolved, you said, right? It's still unsolved. Yeah. I hope this case isn't one of those that just, it's been too far gone. And the only, we might, we might get an answer, you know, some point soon, but who knows? We'll get into that, like, at the end. Okay. But, uh. But, you know, so basically George and Jenny tried to go back to the fire chief uh, with all of this information and the, you know, the strange occurrences that had happened and the news from the telephone company that, you know, the wires had been cut. And they tried to ask them about this. And uh, the fire chief insisted that, you know, it was a matter of faulty wiring in the home and that. It couldn't be anything else. But George and Jenny really didn't feel that it was that. They also remembered seeing the Christmas lights on as the fire was burning in the home. And if it was faulty wiring, the lights would, the, there would have been no power. So the lights wouldn't have still been on in the home as the fire was burning. So hmm. that's, that's, that's another thing to keep in mind. And about an hour before the fire, when she had woken up, the telephone was working. The lights were working. Everything was still on. So Yeah, and what about that noise? Exactly. We're going to get into that, too, because some witnesses come forward and say what that noise might have possibly been. Um, was it the reindeer? It was not reindeer. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was not reindeer. Um, so they also had found the ladder that had been missing from the side of the house on the night of the fire at the bottom of an embankment about 75 feet away from the Sodders' property. Which is, so someone Got definitely deliberately put that there. Yeah, um, the phone line. Another witness came forward saying that he saw a man at the scene of the fire taking a block and tackle, which would be used to remove car engines. Um, taking that like away from the scene of the fire so that's basically like you've seen those big chains with the big like hook at the bottom of it and they yeah. use that to pull an engine out so if somebody had opened up the hood of each of those trucks and just jostled that engine real quick and knocked some hoses loose that would have been enough to make it so that neither of those trucks would start yeah um so with all of this, Jenny and George really had trouble accepting Morris's, you know, belief that all traces of the children's bodies were just burned up in the fire and that it was faulty wiring. They just really, they weren't, they weren't going with the story. Um, Jenny actually uh, tried to do some little testing herself. She actually uh, would burn bones of, like, like pig bones and like cow bones of like you know meat that they had made for dinner to try and see like how quickly it would turn to ash and she could never get the fragments to like fully burn away she tried to make like little like scientific tests herself to like you know yeah basically contradict so, what they had said that like the police like weren't on her side they're probably in on it possibly um she also contrasted the results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she read um, a few months later. Um, it was said that a family of seven had been in the home at the time and skeletal remains were found of all of the victims. Um, when she brought this to the attention of the fire chief, again, they basically ignored her concerns and brushed her off as a grieving mother who was unable to come to terms with the truth. Like, she's bringing some valid fucking concerns and reasoning to the table. Like, you should take a look at it. Um, a few months after the fire, when the snow had melted, Sylvia, the baby, had actually found a small, hard, dark, rubber, kind of ball-like object in the brush nearby where the house had been. George actually took this from her and thought about how he had heard his wife recall a loud thump and some rolling before, and he realized that this object actually looked like what was called a pineapple bomb, which was a type of hand grenade used in the war. 
So someone threw a fucking grenade then on the roof of their house. Then a witness emerged indicating that the fire had not started an electrical fault and instead was set deliberately. A bus driver who had been passing through late Christmas Eve said that he had seen what looked like two men throwing balls of fire at the roof of a house in the area. He didn't, like, call this in the police? No. <clears throat> okay. It was also, it's 1945. I you know, know, no one had cell phones. There wasn't, like, public phones. I, yeah, but you could pull off somewhere, maybe, and it's, there's an emergency. It's a different time, you know? People were like, ain't my business. Yeah, I guess so. And just fucking went about. Uh, okay. Um, there was, then came multiple reported sightings of the children after the fire. Like, the missing children. A woman claimed to have seen the missing children peering through a passing car while the fire was in progress. So it looked, she saw what looked like the solder children, like the same dark, they all had very dark hair and like dark brown eyes, you know, like super Italian looking family. Um, And she saw what looked like these five children in the past, like in the backseat of a car, like looking out the window as it drove by. Um, and then a woman operating a tourist stop between um, Fayetteville and Charleston, about 50 miles west, said that she saw some children that looked like the solder children the morning after the fire. And this was what she stated. She said, I served them breakfast. There was a car with Florida license plates at the tourist court, too. And then a woman at a Charleston hotel said that she, um, when she looked at the um, children's photos in the newspaper, she said that um, she had seen them about four or five weeks after the fire. And this is what she said. She said the children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered at about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. And immediately the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out. So I said nothing more. And they left very early the next morning. But again, these witnesses were all ignored by local authorities as they felt that this was an open and shut case of just a tragic accident. So... Years went by and they got no fucking answers other than that from the authorities. In 1947, George wrote letters to the FBI requesting assistance in what he thought was a kidnapping of his five children. Yeah, I I mean, it's uh, all signs are kind of pointing to that these kids were not in that house when the fire yeah, happened. and that the phone lines were cut, the weird phone call, the... the like, all these weird witnesses the coming bombs, forward. The witnesses. It's the sightings. Yeah. Um, it's, and there's more sightings, too. It's, it's fucking wild. It just... Just wait. Um, so, George wrote to the FBI, and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover actually personally responded to these letters, stating... Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. Um, and then he basically went on in the letter to say that if the local authorities requested the bureau's assistance, that of course then he would um, have to send direct agents to assist them. But the Fayette, um, Fayetteville Police Department and Fire Department declined any assistance from the FBI. Like, actively were like, nope, we don't want your help. Sorry, we're good. So don't open and shut case. <clears throat> yeah. Um, either they didn't want to, like, look bad or they were, someone was involved. It was some sort of inside job. I think it could have been a little bit of both. I know back then a lot of departments would be like, no, it's my jurisdiction. I'm solving this case. So, yeah. like, that was a, that tend to be a common thing back then. And, like, they would not, well, they wouldn't be as willing to work with each other as they would now. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, they weren't able to get any assistance from the FBI. So with no assistance from the local authorities or any of the federal authorities, George and Jenny decided to take my matters into their own hands and hired a private investigator with a name straight out of a goddamn murder mystery novel, C.C. Tinsley. C.C. Tinsley. Yep. So now C.C. Tinsley is on the case. Okay. 
fact, I I am just immediately picturing like a Carmen San Diego kind of guy in like a like a fucking brown long jacket with like a hat and a fucking magnifying glass. Like the Great Mouse Detective. Exactly. Like the Great Mouse Detective. CC Tinsley. Yep. That's like what a <laughs> fucking a name. What a name. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love it. I absolutely love it. So, Cece Tinsley actually discovered some pretty fucking strange rumors around the town, including one about our dear old fire chief. Uh, We'll get into that in a minute. But he also discovered that the insurance salesman who had threatened George was a member of the coroner's journey, a jury that had deemed the fire accidental. Yeah, this is, there's like a lot of like, Suspicious circumstances in the, surrounding Like, what this. the fuck is happening in this town? Yeah. Um, he had also someone uh, had it out for the father for yes. George. And like, like that, the fact that that insurance salesman salesman was on the coroner's jury for like to de- determine whether or not the fire was accidental and that like the children died in the fire is just fucking like what? How? Yeah. <clears throat> um. He also odd. He also heard from the local minister. Um, about that F.J. Morris, the fire chief, had actually uh, come to his confession box and made a confession about the fire. Uh, Although Morris had claimed publicly that there were no remains found, he confided in the local minister that there actually had been a heart discovered among the ashes. A human heart. Just the heart. Just the heart. Just the heart. just, Just the fleshy organ that needs to be protected by bone for some reason i don't believe that and that he hid this in a dynamite box and buried it at the scene why are you like getting your hands dirty at an investigation so so cecily tinsley persuaded morris to show him the spot and together they dug in this area and found a box and brought it straight to the local funeral director who opened it and concluded that this wasn't a heart at all. It was actually a beef liver that had been completely untouched by the fire. Okay, so this guy's just a fucking idiot. Yes. He thought um, it was a human heart, but it was so just a slab of meat. Soon afterwards, um, T- Tinsley was like, dude, what the fuck is this? And the fire chief um, actually admitted that he had put that there purposely as a way to hopefully give the family some type of closure and that it would placate the family that there were remains found and that, you know, the investigation was, was a shut, yeah, well, shut and closed. I don't believe that. I don't think parents believed that. No, and Tinsley didn't believe it either, but he couldn't really get more out of the fire chief after that. He basically was like, oh, well, you know, I did it because, like, I felt bad for the family and I wanted them to think that there was something there. So I told this to the minister in hopes that he would tell it to other people, you know, okay. and then get the rumor out. Like that, it's it's fucking like what? It's very weird. It's absolutely bizarre, bizarre. Um, so over the next few years, um, the tips and leads would continue to come in, and they continued to work with Tinsley on and off. Uh, George saw a newspaper photo of local school children in New York City, and was convinced that one of them looked like his daughter Betty. And this is so fucking sad. He drove from West Virginia to Manhattan to search for this child, but when he got there, her parents refused to speak to him. What, I, like, it's just so sad. And, like, I also can't imagine, I, I see like, it from either side. It is. Like, if someone it, came up to me and was like, I want to talk to you, I think that's my missing daughter, I'd be like, get the fuck away from me and don't talk to me and my kid. But, like, I, I just, this poor man just, like, wanted answers. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough case. Um, and then in August of 1949, the Sodders decided to mount a new search of the fire scene and they decided to do some excavating of all of the dirt and try to get back into the basement to see if they could kind of search through and find anything. Um, They brought in a Washington, D.C. pathologist named Oscar B. Hunter. Another fucking, like, name out of the book. Yeah, really. Um, And the excavation was thorough enough they actually uncovered several small objects, including damaged coins, a partially burned dictionary, and several shards of vertebrae. Hunter sent the bones to the Smithsonian Institute, uh, which sent out the following report. The human bones consist of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to of one individual. 
uh, since the transverse recess are fused at the age, the age of this individual at death should have been at about 16 or 17 years old. So basically based on the way the vertebrae were fused, they believed that um, this person was about 16 or 17 at the time that they died. The top age limit should be about 22. Um, uh, and they kind of like go on to talk about more. So it like, couldn't have been the oldest? So it could not. Um, on the basis... So they just had remains in their basement and didn't know? Yeah, so on the basis, it showed that the skeleton had greater maturation than one of a 14-year-old boy, which was the oldest of the missing solder child. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of here. It's okay. The Script. vertebrae also showed no evidence of being exposed to any type of fire. Got it. Uh, so it was very strange that these bones were found. However, they believe that what likely happened was that these may have been in the, like, pounds of dirt that George brought to the home from another location oh, and that's filled creepy. the basement with. Ooh. Like it just could have been Spooky. like an unmarked grave of somebody yeah. else. Um, they never discover who these bones are, by the way. Oh my the Smithsonian God. Institute Jesus. has them, but they've it's never no one's ever figured out who they are, but they were able to de- definitively find out that they're not any of the missing solder children. But it was still like a young boy. Yes, it was still some young... sixteen was it a boy or is spine. It... They they couldn't really tell. They couldn't tell. Um, so the Smithsonian report prompted two hearings at the capital of Charleston, uh, in which Governor Oakley L. Patterson, uh, a who was a and a state police superintendent W. E. Burchett, these fucking names, these names, dude. dude. Yeah, they're very um, up there. <laughs> they told the Sodders that their search was hopeless and declared the case closed. Uh, undeterred, George and Jenny erected a billboard along Route 16 and began passing out flyers, offering a $5,000 reward for any information leading to the recovery of their kidnapped children. Um, this And, like, does the unlocked door come back up? No. No. Because the door was unlocked? The door was unlocked. The curtains were open. But, like, it's, how could somebody kidnap five children with, like... With the old Marion, who was like 18 or 19, was still asleep on the st- like. I mean, I've the, slept through some loud so I don't shit know, before, but, but like I'm also wondering in the house. I think somebody used that ladder to get to the kids in the attic. Somehow convinced the kids to come outside. Like threaten them with something. That probably. or even possibly it was fucking Christmas. If somebody dressed up as Santa Claus. Yeah, but I feel like the 14 year old boy would know better. True. I feel like at that but age, even those I times, just, you I know. I just don't know, but you never they know. They probably threatened them, like had a gun That's or something. That's what I'm was thinking, like, is they possibly do not threatened scream them. or I will shoot you. And um and got them out of the house. And that's why that the ladder was found down that, that is, embankment. Is that like And then one the, of the children were driven away. Is that one of the most believed theories? Yes. That's what people believe. Um, Some people think the Italian mafia may have taken them. We'll get into some theories. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. It does. And they think that the children were sold to like families. That's horrible. Because that was a common, like people would, you know, people made a lot of money off of adopting children. So it was common for kids to get kidnapped. I feel like maybe the five year old wouldn't have remembered much, but the 14, like you remember these things. Although like who you are, if something ha- if something that traumatic happened, they could have also blacked it out. After I know, but years, I, you know, yeah, it's you never know. It's very fucking strange. Um, but soon they increase the amount for the reward to ten thousand dollars, and a letter arrived from a woman in St. Louis saying that the oldest girl Martha was at a convent there. Um, Martha would have been about twelve at the time that she disappeared. So now. You know, it's years later. She would have been probably, like, late teens. Um, Another tip came in from Texas uh, where a patron of a bar had overheard a incriminating conversation about a long-ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. Uh, Someone in Florida claimed that the children were staying with a distant relative of Jenny's. George traveled the country to investigate each and every lead that came in and Every I mean, who else was going to do it? He kind of had to take matters into his own hands. Yeah. Um, and each time he'd come home without any answers, That's unfortunately. So and then in 1968, more than 20 years after the fire, Jenny went to the mail and found an envelope addressed to only her. It was postmarked from Kentucky but had no return address. 
Inside was a photo of a man in his mid-20s that looked very, very much like her son, Lewis. On the flip side of this picture was some super cryptic handwriting. Oh, shut up. I have the chills The already. note read, Lewis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie, Lil Boys, A90132 or 35. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I don't know why I feel this way right now. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yep. Just fucking wait, dude. Um, do they know? Do they ever find out what this means? No, no. And the reason why is even more bizarre than this fucking note. So she and George could not desire the re- couldn't deny the resemblance to their son Lewis. And it had his been, name on the back. And what did yes. it say again? It see? said Lewis Sauter. I love brother Frankie. Who's Frankie? Lil boys. I don't know. I feel like I'm gonna cry. Like, why do I feel this way right now? I, and then it said Lil Boys, like L L I L boys and then just a nine zero one three two or 35 like i i, I just like don't even fucked know. up right now amanda I, um so there was a ton of similarities in the picture and i'll show you like the two pictures of like lewis when he disappeared jen's got like tears in her eyes <laughs> yeah dude that's um, crazy there they had like um the same like kind of upward tilt to the left eyebrow straight strong nose like strong chin like it looked very very similar um so this time george hired a private investigator to go to kentucky to try and figure out where this note came from and in a fucking wild and mysterious twist of events the private investigator who went to kentucky went missing himself he was never heard from again. Like, I I can't even fucking make this shit up, dude. I cannot. Like, I... It's... This was organized crime, dude. The This so- is in fucking sane. The Sauter family never heard from that private detective ever again. Dude went to Kentucky and just vanished. Oh my god, he was probably and they, close to yeah, something. And, and, and they never they never found out where that letter came from or what it meant. Oh my god. Um so the Sodders feared that if they went like if they published that letter or went public with it that somebody might harm their son. So they instead just amended the billboard to include that image of like the updated image of Lewis and then hung an enlarged picture of that, like an enlarged version of that picture over their fireplace as like a memorial to their son. Um, The sign quickly became a landmark. They're like billboard on Route 16. Um, And like I said, you know, because the reward was $10,000, it did cause George and Jenny to get a lot of like frequent calls with pretty like useless tips. Um, Is it still up, you think? No, unfortunately. After like four decades, it, it, uh, it came down. Um, but George did an interview interview with Smithsonian Magazine, and he said, time is running out for us, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire. We want to be convinced. Otherwise, we just want to know what happened to them. George Sauter did die a year later in 1968, still hoping for a break in the case. Jenny erected a large fence around her entire property. Jenny basically wanted to kind of build a layer between herself and the outside world uh, because she just really kind of lost faith in humanity, which I can't blame her. Um, Since the fire, she had also only worn black clothing exclusively as a sign of her mourning for her children. And she continued to do so until her death in 1989. Mm. Uh, it was in 1990 that the billboard finally came down after being there for decades, being basically a staple of West Virginia. Her children and grandchildren continued the investigation and came up with theories of their own. Um, they do they did know that the local mafia had tried to recruit their father at some point in time, and he actually declined the offer. Uh, when he declined the offer, they tried to extort money from him from his business, which he also refused. So they were just like kind of had a grudge against him. Yes. And he also made very outspoken political yeah. statements and stuff. Um, this is probably just a form of punishment. Possibly. Um, they believe that the children were kidnapped by someone that they knew, someone who would have been able to um, kind of, you know, 
lure them out lure them out see i don't know so if someone at gunpoint was like you scream i'll fucking so what, shoot you and what kill they your whole family is that somebody burst into the home said the house is on fire the house is come on come on come on we'll get you out we'll get you out got the children out told them they were going to take them to a safe place and then got them away from the family in the home which does make sense it does make sense but it, it if, could have also been a stranger like they could have been it could have been a fireman could have been a stranger exactly um, they're just really not sure. They do believe that the children most likely would not have survived the night, so somebody had to have taken them to another place. They weren't just, like, out in the woods. Um, and they did think that that photo was actually Lewis and that he may have been attempting to try and contact the parents um, but was unable to have a return address because he may have not known where he was or he knew that if they came to find him that they all would have died. And... You know, we don't know because the private investigator went there and fucking vanished. Well, maybe they knew that they were still looking and they wanted to kind of. Yeah, it was kind of like bait a little bit. Possibly. Yeah, because typically um, it was George that would go investigate everything. Exactly. And they sent a private investigator this time. I, I don't know. They could have been after him or they could have just been like bait trying to make a statement like stop yeah essentially like yeah. stop looking so they believe that um because of their their father's uh outspoken statements and his uh kind of disdain for the mafia and the way that he declined their offer to join them that it kind of black marked their family and that's what caused this entire incident and because the local mafia was so like intertwined with the government in the town and like the police force and the authorities and stuff why it became such like a large cover-up. Uh, Sylvia Sauter Paxton, the last remaining sibling of the family, who was just a baby the night that it happened, passed away in 2021 at the oh. age of 79 years old. So like super recent. Yeah. And where did they, did they stay in West Virginia? They stayed in that area. I believe she was in, I think it said like Missouri possibly. I could be wrong. Um, but it was, she stayed in like the South. Um, her legacy and the mystery of what happened to her siblings on that Christmas Eve lives on through her own children and grandchildren. Uh, Sylvia had made a promise to her mother on her deathbed that she would never stop looking for answers as to what happened to her siblings. And she shared this passion with her daughter, who in turn shared it with her brother and um, their children as well. So her family now continues the investigation and continues searching for answers and they promise that they will never stop looking for answers as long as someone in the Sauter family still lives and it's crazy because she was the youngest so you know that she's two years old most of these if not all of her siblings that are missing have passed away by now Possibly or they're the well youngest into their was 80. five yeah so like he would be like be 80 in his 80s very very old but like did they have children of their own maybe or something? So like we, some DNA could we tie could one very day. well. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> we could find some DNA that may tie one of these kids to, to some family somewhere, which if that happens, that's going to be fucking wild, dude. You know, that would be really fucking cool if this was how this case was solved. I really hope it is. I hope it is. And I hope that, you know, somewhere out there, the family finds that sense of closure. Because if you, because of like how close the lineage is, you'd share a good chunk of DNA. Yeah, exactly. If you were directly related. Yeah. Like if so. it was, you know, like your cousin or something like that's, that's going to be wild. Because think about it. Like if one of her children matched with one of her siblings' children, they'd be cousins that would have like a, they'd have a good chunk of that DNA. Yeah. Like it would. Yeah, it's uh, th like I said, this is a case that like at 3 a.m. I'm like thinking about. Um, yeah, I, they just, were. This was fucking all planned out. Yeah. So there's no denying that. These and the were police taken. were probably paid to shut up or they were in on it or whatever. Yeah, but like that fire, that weird fire chief that like maybe he was threatened in maybe a he, box. Maybe it was the mafia. Maybe he was threatened. Himself. I know. I there's, there's a lot of different um i also theories. i want to know what the fuck happened to the private investigator that went to kentucky yeah and just disappeared 
that, that part of the guy. case, I was just like, holy shit. And it's like, such a small part of this case, but, like, he had a family, too. Yeah. Like, he... And he also, was like, person. whose vertebrae was in that dirt? Yeah, like there's so there's many. a lot of weird paths in there's this story. The the insurance salesman who's just like your house is gonna go up and got like your goddamn house is gonna burn like, I, but, and yeah. your children will be destroyed. I just this that's crazy. This whole case is just wild. And yeah, this was I'm, a wild ride. I had a lot of emotions during this. I'm glad we shared it. I'm glad that oh you. Also, you know, C.C. Tinsley is the man. I'll be thinking of uh, this story all month and on Christmas Eve. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, everyone is going to See, I don't know what's Christmas more insane. Think about it. This story or the one I have the, for you Yeah, the murder weeks. spree you said? Oh, shh. Don't Sorry. Spoil it. Sorry, yes, guys. Murder spree. Spoiler alert. Christmas murder spree. Moira. Yeah. So, wow. Thanks, Amanda. I'm Thanks for crushing <laughs> my soul this Saturday afternoon. Well, my next case that I have for this month is uh, it's a little uh, history with Amanda moment. You know, oh, little, we get a little uh, buffer. Okay, great. Yeah, we got a little buffer. A little, awesome. Uh, a little American Revolution. There's a special anniversary coming up for those New Englanders. Or a very you know what I'm special talking about. event. Or a special don't special sp- protest. Don't spoil. It. Oh no, I'm not gonna spoil it. Um, yeah, but yeah. So we're gonna have some. Uh, we'll have some fun, and then we'll uh, have some not so fun. Yeah, and then. Some creepy fun. Exactly. But I hope but you not guys... weird creepy, spooky creepy. Spooky creepy. Yeah. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode yeah. and uh let us I know what re- you think. Enjoyed isn't the emotion. Yeah. But let us know what you think happened to these kids. Do you think they, you know, were they lost in the fire? Do you think that somebody took them? Let us know your thoughts. Uh-huh. Send us one. a message. All right. Well, stay spooky. Stay scary. And stay safe. Bye. Bye.